All right. Welcome, everybody. All right. We already got some people on. Uh, so we are scheduled here for another live edition of the Sovereign Mind, Body and Soul podcast with Coach Jerry. I am your host, Coach Jerry. And uh, this first podcast in a while This is podcast number fifth. I've been on hiatus for a little bit. My apologies for that. No excuses. But really, I've just been in a little bit of an identity crisis. I'll be honest with you. Just trying to show, you know, just trying to figure out where we're going with this podcast, where we're going with our branding message, where we're going with how we can reach people, have max impact. So we're get, I've been getting a lot of strides as I've been in my little cave and in my hiatus, thinking things out. But welcome, like I said, to the Mind Body Sovereign Mind Body and Soul podcast with Coach Jerry. And as you probably know, this podcast is my opportunity to share my heart and my journey with you. And my hope in doing that is that you will find what you're missing currently, what's keeping you stuck, your missing peace and health, so that you can source that, you can work on that, and you can integrate that into your mind, body, and soul complex and become a complete whole person. That's what we were put here to do. And we can all do it. There isn't a person alive who can't make it happen. He's good at this. Isn't he? <laughs> so today joining me is a, is a new dear friend of mine, Dr. Bruce Ammons. Bruce is a PhD clinical psychologist, but more than that, he's a passion, a passion, much like myself for helping people get healthier and happier. And how does he do that? Well, he moves them from the survival zone to the thriving zone. He helps him get unstuck. Now, in the in the means of doing that, he's well aware that you have to incorporate the whole being of a person and how we're approaching, communicating, and considering their particular case. And that's what I love about you, Bruce. We've gotten really close over the last month or so, and we're just like kindred spirits. We see things very in a very similar manner. I'm absolutely fascinated by his level of education and the way he can conceptualize, contextualize, and actualize things in a short amount of time in a very poignant way. And so I was like, I've got to get you on my podcast, brother. I've got to get you here, introduce you to some of the people that, that I'm friends with on some of these social media platforms, because these people are great people and they're really interested in uh, the, tr the truth about getting unstuck, the truth about being a complete whole person. And today, what I want to talk about is something that's affecting, well, we, we decided probably 100% of the people in this world. But, but before we go into that, and that's autoimmunity, guys. Autoimmune is a very hot topic right now. Medical community is, for all intents and purposes, completely lost. And one could argue that they might be making the problem more. That's just a hypothetical fact checkers, not saying anything objectively. Now, that being said, Bruce, welcome. Share with the audience who, you're, who you are and what you're about. Thanks, Jerry. Um, I, I've been unknowingly on a on a mission since I was really young to fill my brain with every kind of information I could ever find about every kind of science there is. And and I grew up with a couple of psychologists for parents. And so, of course, I always heard all that stuff and just sort of absorbed it without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But I assumed I wanted to be an astronaut or something else and trained up in a bunch of hard sciences and whatnot, but I always did the psych stuff. And I ended up switching over into psych to go to grad school because I, it was by far the most complex and interesting thing. And I was really seeing how every bit of physiology and, and medical literature, biochemistry and physics, and you know, you name the, the area, it all applies. And the more you know, the more effectively you can think about you know, how people are put together and how they function in the world. And, and where are all these little entry points when you want to help someone who's stuck? You know, is it their physiology? Is it their history of drug use? Is it their, is it the way they didn't really exercise since they were a child? Or is it a sleep issue? Is it, you know, what, what of all these dozens and dozens of really important things are the sort of linchpins for why pe this person's struggling? And how are they all connected with one another? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about our conversations is, is there isn't anything about this, this man and, and consequently our conversations that isn't really holistic, right. And integrated. So our conversations always lead into this on these, these side paths that loop back to our original topic. And it's, it, it, it just goes to show that everything we do is, is really holistic in nature, right? Everything affects everything else. Yeah. Our conversations are like going on a 10 mile run in the forest where you've never been before. It's like branching all over the place and it's all fascinating. Naked. All naked and hungry. And it's just a blast. So it's great, great to be able to share. It with I agree. I agree. And, and, you know, we're being really selfish. We've had a lot of great conversations and we haven't been sharing them with anybody. So we want to share this with you, but where I really thought this, this would relate is, is the holistic disease autoimmune. You know, the reason why I say it like that is, is because what we're learning more and more about, I know you've, you've experienced this 
with working with your patients, I've experienced this with working with my clients is that really the, the, the situation with autoimmunity is it's just a much more broad. If we were to actually look at the term and what it is, it's much more broad than the medical community is, is, is approaching it with. And what I mean by that is they like to categorize these different diseases. We've got lupus, we've got fibromyalgia, we've got IBS, we've got Crohn's, we've got rheumatoid arthritis, cancer, Alzheimer's, all these things. But Bruce and I were talking about like the mental and emotional diseases that occur and how those are autoimmune. So really at what point are all diseases not categorized as autoimmune, right? So what happens when you look at them from, with that lens, you know, what happens when you choose to say, oh, let's just, let's just look at all of this stuff as some form of autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. What do do we mean by autoimmunity? You know, we need to be literally basic about that. So when you know, it's just your system trying to figure out what's you and what's not right in order to survive and function well, then you realize, oh, this opens up the playing field for everything you can think about in terms of human functioning. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you know, what I'm hearing there is, is really the Occam's razor approach, right? The most, the most likely answer is probably the right one. And if we are taking a look at, at autoimmunity, what is it, right? Well, it's our body attacking something that's in us that isn't us. Right. And what are we creating in us that isn't us? us. That it believes isn't us. Yeah. But next question is what are we creating within us that our body doesn't recognize? And if we were to look at it from that approach, then it's with an open mind, then we can consider all options, our emotional state, our mental state, how those correlate and 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 work off each of each other. So Yeah, and it's beautiful, Jerry, to talk about the way you just did because when you when we think about it as something as the, the the part of it that matters to us is always the part that we're playing some active role in creating, mm-hmm. which by the way is everything, but, but it's worth <laughs> All cons- of it. considering it in that light, because if you're creating it, you also can create it in a different way. Yes. You can change it. Yes. And you know, so the, that opens the door and makes it, it should help a person be motivated to say, how can I shift this? Cause I'm already creating all this, right? you know? So how could I create it differently and better? Absolutely. You know, you know if you go out and lift a barbell the wrong way, you're going to hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that isn't a great activity if you do it right. Totally. You know? Totally. And I, I want to jam on that maybe towards the end because that that is that is something we could probably spend the entire show talking about. Yeah. So I want to give it adequate time. And sure. Sp- so that's like everything else you and I end up. Yeah, right. Yeah. That. Yeah. But this time we got a pen yeah, and paper. We'll be fine. But so we, we talked about, and I, I left in the video description too, is, is the irony that the medical advancement have gone so far, right? Like our, our, our technology... The medications that we can develop, the way we can respond to new new diseases, like it's never been more up to date. It's never been more refreshed, right? So to speak. Yet, the problem- on the other hand, can you imagine the hubris of anyone who believes that they can go in and change one gene and that's going to fix something? Right. I, I, I always hark back to the research the Chinese did in the last three years, where they they actually went in and changed some major genes in in children in utero. And they got a lot of the effect. They were These were kids who were going to die really young because of what this did to their whole system, whatever this genetic disease was. And, uh, and they didn't, but then they did. And they realized, oh, we've now added like 350 genes just so far that all jumped in the fray once you removed the one you thought was a problem. Right. And that's actually a beautiful metaphor for the way you and I think about the, about our own systems and behavior and everything we want to know about that it's all connected and it's all like thousands of feedback loops. So then when you think that way, you realize what a danger it is to even imagine that you could create a medicine and give it to somebody that actually go everywhere in their system and affects every cell in their body. When really there was something funny going on with like a little part of their heart muscle Mm -hmm. or something like that, where they had toe fungus. Yeah. And so now you're going to give them medicine that runs everywhere and like kills their liver. Mm-hmm. Not a good idea. And it really is fundamental. Again, this sort of, you become a part of this immune system that creates autoimmunity because when you do that sort of stuff to your system, you're the attacker. Yes. Yes. And, and it knows it and it goes, oh, no way. Yes. And uh, what, what you brought up there was, you know, about something going into every cell of the body, every, every part of your being well, naturally occurring. That's exactly what our emotions can do. Right. Sure. And so if we take a look at Doo-doo. what light create, what likely created it. So if we take a look at that, right. There, sure. One could argue that emotions, if not the prime root cause could be a causal factor in every autoimmune condition. I would say that's gotta be true. 
Yeah. Because there's never a moment, as as one of my really favorite mentors used to say to us, uh, there's never a moment while you're alive that you're not filled with complex feelings. Mm. And we never have just one, although there's always one on the surface. So that's the one we're aware of mostly. There's there's always many, many different core emotions going on. And um, and the only time when they're not is when you're six feet under. That was his line. Yeah. Yeah. And so obviously that, that begs the next question, right? Or maybe that's the answer to this next question. What, despite all the medical advancements and all this attention being paid to it, the net effect of what's going on, and I'm not making any assertion here, but the net effect, the realized effect, as Bruce would say, the realized effect is that we are throwing more money, more resources and more technology at this condition, and we're making it worse. So the realized effect is pharma is getting really rich off of the inability to figure out how to fix autoimmunity. That's a realized effect. I'm not purporting it's intentional or not. So why is their approach only making the problem in your estimation? Well, you know, it's the whole way that you and I think about things, which is that if you don't have a bigger picture of, of um, how the entire set of systems, the system of systems works, mm-hmm. and you take this kind of a, a punctate single entry point approach to it, it's a problem. It's yeah. always going to be a problem. Yeah. You know, I think of, for example, taking it back to the lifting thing again, you see the guys in the gym that do nothing but, but bicep curls and they end up with real, and they do it, don't do a full range of motion. And they end up with, with like really shortened biceps and they're huge. And now mm-hmm. they're, they're uncomfortable and they're cutting off blood supply when they yeah. sit in a certain way and, pronated. and they can't, yeah. And they're all pronated. No, it's just a disaster. Well, I mean, all of this stuff works that way where if you don't, if you aren't constantly seeking as you and I do, which is one reason we have so much fun with each other, because it's a useful thing to learn how to do, of always stepping back and looking at a bigger picture. Yeah. Oh, just now, okay, let's step back and look at a bigger picture again. What's actually happening? It's like I, I told you the other day when I was talking about, about meds that are given to, for any particular you know malady that doctors think they can treat with a med. Um, some of them work fairly well really quite well. A lot of the psych meds though, if you really look at the statistics behind them, you'll see that um, that what gets called the main effect that they're going to tell you, okay, I'm going to give you an antidepressant. Now that's the main effect they're talking about. If you look at the profile forum and you look at the list of um, side of so-called side effects, which means those are ones they don't want you to, and you don't want to have, that many of those end up happening at a higher rate than the so-called main effect. Now, really by definition, a main effect is the main thing it does to you. So these so-called side effects are actually main effects. So there's several of those, for example, that call and man, 95% of the people who take them have this problem. Well, 95% of them who take that med don't have an antidepressant effect. So it's actually an e-drug that makes you impotent. Right. Yeah. Now, if I told people that, would they want to take it? Right. Mm. What would that commercial look like on Fox News? Exactly. That- <laughs> They'd really be talking fast at the end of it. Are you tired of having long, sustained, strong erections? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Are you tired of your wife not leaving you alone? Yeah. Yeah. Are you tired of her being really happy with, with the way you were intimate with one another? Are you tired of never arguing? Exactly. Are you tired of always smiling? Yeah. We'll How'd you like to feel less than? Wouldn't yeah, that be great? We're going to give you an antidepressant that's going to make your dick not work. Exactly. Doesn't that sound like a great package? Sign me up. Sign me and up. And by the way, it won't help your mood. And it won't help your... If that's not working, I don't know how you're going to be in a good mood. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just one example of how we can take this kind of a, a, a blinded, uh, over-focused... Like we were saying earlier when we were chatting, Jerry, you know, focus is a thing like a superpower that we can have. And it's really important. We need attention because we can't like attend to everything in our visual field or everything in our family that's going on or, you know, anything like that. It's just too much. So although our system's taking in like the periphery with our vision, we're really focused on a very small area. And our physiology reflects that our fovea, the main part of our eye that really has lots of cells in it, is right where it needs to be for our central focus, right? And um, that's where we're getting information from. But so we're sort of hardwired to be able to spot predators and things like that. But that if we overfocus like that emotionally or, you know, with our vision, you know, our physiology, we're losing content. And when something doesn't go quite right and we start hurting ourselves, in other words, we have this autoimmune kind of problem. We won't know why, because we're only using this information and we need all this in order to see, oh, that's what's going wrong. Mm, right. Yeah. And yeah. so what I heard there, correct me if I'm wrong, is that we spend a lot of time and energy. And generally that's because we're resisting the truth or we're not attuned 
right to our soul's mission if you if you will mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we're, we're tuned to something else we're tuned to something else. we're trans. what are we attuned to right we're trans what, right? where did the trans come from and why are we tuned to right it? right right yeah yeah exactly and we're, it's because it all boils down to survival which in in animals mean good attachment so that you're part of your family your quote tribe of all sizes mm -hmm. the community too yeah because when you're really little humans are actually among all animals they're what's called neotenous longer than any other animal so humans can't survive on their own till they're like seven or eight or nine at the very earliest yeah that's a long time to be vulnerable totally totally so it turns out our brains i do a lot of neurofeedback it turns out our brains are geared to have this bunch of theta which is about um three to five hertz kind of waveform mm -hmm. that we make yep. right in the center of our brain here the center of our cortex Turns out the other place where you find that, according to a friend of mine who's a real EEG expert, um, it's like a million of them or something as part of his work. Um, that cloud, the other time when you see it is when someone's hypnotized. Yeah. So the trance is a beautiful term because it turns out we're hardwired to be in a trance for the first six or eight years right. of our life so that our parents can us from being dumbasses and dying doing something yeah. that they know better than right? complete download mode so right? we're supposed to just be in download mode and not challenge things but that creates all kinds of trouble for us right and so in the midst of creating that trouble there's chaos there's confusion yeah. which yeah. leads to trance yeah which we don't know how to snap ourselves out of yeah. and then we're being guided and influenced by people who are also in their own trance yeah yeah so we spend years and years so I don't know why anybody's worried about zombies. We all are one at some point. Yeah, level. the zombie. Oh, especially after the last couple of years. But why that, that comes up actually, like any concept, mm -hmm. it's because there's a reality and everyone recognizes. And that's it. why we. That's why we are attracted to it, right? Yeah, 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 we're attracted to it, but we're also going, oh, that could be a problem. That could be a problem. Yeah, because it's like anything else. It's on a on a dimension, and when there's a little bit of it, that's fine. That can function. If you get more of it and get down towards the other end, it's a real problem. A hundred percent. And. So as we talk about the trances, the programming, uh, the environmental, you know, evolutionary psychology behind why we do what we do. And uh, the realize effect is we spend decades, uh, for most people, some people can source it sooner, but we spend decades creating a conscious autoimmunity, stop getting in our own way, questioning our own intuition, stopping ourselves from pursuing things that would make us feel complete and whole. So we've got this intentional, unintentional, but like this conscious autoimmune response to life that we just do. And then eventually that transfers over to the autonomic functions in our body. And Real quickly, they actually. Create, and they create, they create what is now clinically diagnosable as autoimmunity. Right. Because so, they're so, they are so powerful. And it's at such a basic level of our functioning that everything emerges from that. Yeah. And so all of our more gross behaviors that we can notice, like socializing in a certain way or whatever, those have that root down there, but um, it's not so obvious to people because yeah. it's really hidden away. That's the soil. Yeah, that's the, the soil, soil that you're walking on all the time and ignoring, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah trying to fit in, Yeah. what have you. So one could say that, you know, before before you become quote unquote symptomatic physiologically, you're symptomatic for decades. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the way you create your world and how you interface with it. Yeah, and considering that that all the research on attachment behaviors um, and physiology shows that you're pretty much who you're going to be by the time you're about two and a half, three years old. That's already been laid down in your autonomic nervous system. That's already been laid down all over. There's also research by a guy at Yale who spent his entire 40 some year career studying, um, uh, you know, people's uh, way of being in the world. You know, they're, I can't think of the term now. Sorry. It's, it's Monday guys. Um, but it, um, it, it's, it's like whether you're irritable or not, for I, example. Yeah. Yeah. Temperament. Temperament. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's studying temperament. He did this brilliant experiment. You know, you see these pictures on the wall. He took two screens that he put movies on with newborns in a bassinet that were born hours before. And he had them look at those screens. And one of them was a movie that was incredibly busy, just really busy. And the other one was really calm and quiet. And they, he looked at how much time each they spent at the photo, at the movies. And he could pre predict their temperament when they were 10 years old. Wow, just by which one they were trying to do. Yeah. You know, along that line, if you back up even more, there's research now. I I'm, I know Jerry must look at this stuff too. I, we have just haven't had a chance to talk about this. But I'm really interested in the last six or eight years in what's called epigenetics, where it turns out Lamarck, who was Darwin's big competitor figuring out about inheritance, he 
Garvin said, no, it's genes. You know, or he wasn't calling them genes, but he said, no, this is like in you. And then Lamarck said, no, you can learn shit during life and it will get passed on to your, to your yeah. offspring. And every, nowadays, people were up until very recently, people were going, no, that's a bunch of crap. And so they just forgot Lamarck. Lamarck, I got out his textbook the other day. I, met, I ordered another copy of it and I read it. And he describes epigenetics beautifully. He was observing epigenetics. He just didn't have a word for it. Yeah. And what we, there's a piece of research that talks to this inborn temperament. Wouldn't it make sense to have us built in a way that when one or both of our parents is living in a real uh, danger world and therefore has a lot of adrenaline to help them function, man, they need to run from a lot of tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't need much GABA. No, you, you, need, you, need, you need acetylcholine. You need these yeah. things to just wire adrenaline, you up. You a lot of adrenaline, yeah, yeah. and you got to have a big adrenaline. Cortisol, pump. adrenaline's yeah, all yeah. I need. And so... That's um, all we use. So they looked <laughs> in the modern at, world. They, they somehow were able to do this questionnaire study where they looked at um, specifically at um, the dads who'd been stressed up to only about four months before their child. They actually, there was conception. So their sperm had been around while they were stressed. And then they weren't during the pregnancy. But what they found was these kids... Adrenal function, everything else is downregulated because they're going to be born into a world where they're going to have a lot of adrenaline they need. They're going to have to function. And so they don't want it too high. They could actually see these genetic, these epigenetic effects quite clearly. Wow. Yeah. That's massive. So uh, epigenetics, just as a, as a, as kind of a brief overview is, is the expression of your genetics. So you might have a genetic gene for, let's say cancer. But if you aren't living a lifestyle that's going to express the cancer gene to manifest and become a disease, then you're likely not going to get cancer. Yeah, there's this system in us that's just amazing. That he's like this little uh, maintenance guy, and he wanders around depending on what kind of stuff's happening to us. And he uses these things called methyl groups, and he just flips switch genes on and off. He's like setting the whole switchboard so it's set up for the world we're in. And those methyl switches basically don't let you make the RNAs and things that create all your hormones and your neurotransmitters. So they change the way your entire system works. So two questions on that. All right. So one is, all right, who's directing the, the switchboard operator? And two, how does that marry into the infertility epidemics that we're seeing as well, which yeah. is also autoimmune? Yeah, hugely, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, who, who's directing the switch, the switch flipper? Yeah. Is who's directing? Your environment? Yeah. Is it your environment that's telling him, hey, sorry, non-binary, it, it... Hey, this is the environment we're in. Don't you we're going to express them? Yeah, them, whatever. Sorry. I, I'm not up to speed. Yeah. That's not hateful. Okay. Yeah. Um, but in other words, is it the environment? It's celebratory. Is it the environment that is signaling something to the cell that it, that is communicating to the switchboard operator on what genetics to express? Or is it something else? Well, like everything else, it's always going to be both that smack from the environment. And we're already wired to have that happen. But the question is, how did you get to be who you are right in the moment when that happened? Because it's both that passed on genetics, your history, and a huge amount of your history is a mixture of luck and chance and things in the world, whoever's directing it, we don't really know, and, um, uh, and our choices. So really, even if, I, I would pose the question to people, even if your, your choices are only, most of the genetics research shows that, that a lot of these big traits that come out in people um, are about always about 50% genetic and about 50% environment. But it's always the two of them working together. Neither one of them has any effect without affecting the other one, right? So um, genetics always gets expressed in the soup of the environment you've been in, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how it happens. And that's where the epigenetics piece comes in because it modulates all that. Yeah. And, but all where choice comes in. And, and when we get more and more mindful of how this basically works, we can start realizing that a lot of the choices we make can lead to our system attacking itself and creating all these health issues, both mental and physical and medical, you know, problems that they're so that. Yeah, I would say, what if what if I told you only a tenth of a percent of your choices actually matter in, in all this stuff? Wouldn't you still want to take control of that? Mm-hmm. That's the part you can take control of. Right, right. Yeah. And it actually turns out, 
lucky for us to be a hell of a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. And so we can start to learn enough from guys like Jerry and hopefully uh, that um, we can have, we can completely shift how well our, we're doing in the world. Right. And we can shut down a lot of that uh, self-attack, both the psychological self-attack goes on where we're critical of ourselves and we have all this adrenaline on board that's triggering that because we're really anxious and we're not even aware of it because we've been that way our whole life. So yeah. we lose sight of it, right? Yeah. It's just the norm. We can actually realize, oh, that's that might be my norm, but it's not normal and it's not healthy. Right. And like, you know, Gabriel would say that normal is creating all the disease. Yeah. Yeah. A, being normal or or B, trying to be normal. Because really normal is somebody's you know, half cooked idea about what you should be. <laughs> and or it's um, it's it's actually you saying, because this is what I see in my work. We are all just blind as we could be about a lot of our emotions and mm -hmm. and our functioning right and yeah. you see that in your work too. oh yeah you watch someone move and go god how can they do that and not know that's a problem exactly right? or, or my back hurts where does it hurt i don't know yeah but but the thing is <laughs> we are we are designed to be these beautiful machines that that um that start building habit the very first time you do something yeah the very first time yeah and in fact that's the biggest growth because the curve kind of slows down as we practice you can get in 100 trials or something, you can get 90% of the learning you're going to do. Yeah. And then you need another 5 million to get the other right. five. You know, and then we throw, Dunning, we throw Dunning-Kruger in there where everybody thinks they're an expert after that. And everybody thinks that's a bad thing. But I, I argue the other. I'm like, dude, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. Like you've got 90% of what you're going to learn the first month you try it. That's when you should be talking to people. You're most excited about it. It's a very good point. Yeah. Otherwise you keep digging into it and you realize everything you don't know about the topic. And then you think oh, I've got to be, know everything, you know, to be able to help anybody. So when I talk to folks, for example, like you do too, I'm sure about um, like starting to do some resistance training. And cause I believe everyone should, our whole physiology is, is run by our muscle man. So, you know, um, it, it, and the more, and that's it, an ep epigenetic signaler too. It absolutely is. That's one of the reasons it's so important. Right. If yeah. you don't put on muscle mass guys, as you age, you're telling your body, let's shut down. Yeah. Let's, let's get rid of muscle I have nothing mass. else to do here. Yeah. All right. And then your boner stop working. Yeah. And you everything, stop having your brain the energy. Working. You start getting the brain fog. Yeah. Epigenetics. This is what a good resource for this. I, I like Dr. Bruce Lipton's book, Biology of Belief. Mm -hmm. It's an easy read. It's very digestible. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of other resources out there. Um, Joe Dispenza goes into a little bit. He's a little there's, more on the airy There's a side. book, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's on Amazon. Um, it's one of a whole series of pictorial books where these guys spent huge amounts of time drawing pictures of what they're talking about. And so every page is mostly pictures and they're these little books and they've covered every topic in science yeah and i found one on epigenetics and it's really a great basic what a book. novel concept like actually appeal to the way that most people effectively learn right because wow. because we really are visual being you know and and so it's a great way to present information in fact that was what i did ended up doing my dissertation on was what i called forms of representation and yeah. i was showing how if you can take the same information and present it in like five different formats and it'll have a completely different effect on how the people think about it, how they problem solve with it, and whether they remember it or not. And to tie this in holistically, obviously, if we take a look at how people respond to mythical tales, mythical journeys, right? The hero's journey. There's the hero's a reason journey. why we have all those. Yeah. And, and, and symbolism, right? Mm -hmm. which, which has been, in my opinion, demonized as a cult or whatever. But if we're unwilling to look at mythology and we're unwilling to look at symbolism, then we're actually proactively denying an aspect of ourselves that could further our growth and our manifestation of our, our greatest potential, which is an autoimmune condition. We are actually getting in our way of our own growth, stunting our own growth on purpose. We're attacking our potential. Um, but there's something I definitely want to bring up, but I think it's poignant and it might be really relatable to the audience. And that's when we talk about epigenetics, and we talk about autoimmunity. And some of the things that are completely obvious right now that we can't deny is the hormones that are going on within our children, within our within our young adults, and, and our adults. But the children are really being talked about. But we've got this gender dysphoria going on. And we're really quick to attack each side and what have you. But let's say, what the hell is really going on? Why, why do we have so many people that are either confused or let's truly... start with, this is clearly a big thing that needs looking at. hundred percent. Everybody should agree to that. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. We need to go either it's real or it's manufactured, but whatever. Why, what is the environment that we're putting these children in 
that's having them express this genetic potential for mass confusion, for the body attacking it. How is that not yeah. autoimmune, right? Sure. So that, and then also the, um, the prevalence of infertility that is completely, in my opinion, ignored. Nobody talks about it. And it's a big, big it's thing. a big deal. And if you think it's not autoimmune, then I invite you to really meditate on that and say, how is it not autoimmune? So if we take a look at the epigenetic perspective, right? If you have a, a, a of resisting what is in the world, you create anxiety, you create fear responses, but basically you create this inner world or this inner view that the outer world is not safe yes. or friendly. Yep. And then we destroy the inner world with the prescription and over-the-counter drugs, the garbage non-foods that are just highly addicting and just wreck your hormonal and endocrine system, um, the, the, the attachment to career as, as an image to fortify your sense of self, and in doing so, we neglect our physical body so we don't exercise. I was going to say, the only way we get that. Yeah, times, yeah. yeah. And so all of that combined, what are we sending, what signal are we sending to our body? When it comes to reproducing, does our body say, oh, yeah, you're healthy and this world is worth living in? Or are we sending this epigenetic expression to our body through our view of the world and the way we treat ourselves that, yeah, this world isn't worth bringing a child into and you aren't the person to bring a child into the world? Curious what your take is on all that. I don't know. I could improve on what you just how you just put that. That's that really is fundamentally the way I think about that. When you've created signals. I, you know, we've talked a little bit about this. I'm busy trying to figure out how to write a book about signaling in the body, all kinds of signaling in the body, because I've been thinking about this for 30 years. And what, as a general rule, what I see going on is we're, we've created environments now that are so busy with other people and uh, objects that aren't ecologically reasonable. I mean, we should be at home in a forest, not a cubicle, right? Right. Um, and so on, that we've created a world where the external world is often quite hostile to us. And we get signals emotionally about that. And that turns into hormonal signals and neurohormonal signals in us. And sometimes we're quite aware of the effects of that as well. Uh, we just know we're alarmed at least. And, and then we have all the stuff you're talking about that happens inside with those hormones and with, with uh, breaching of the gut and, uh, you know, not sleeping enough to clear, use your lymphatic system to clean out these misfolded proteins in your brain that, that happen all day long, every day, and you need to get rid of them. That's mm -hmm. a normal thing when you're sleeping deep sleep properly. But um, all that stuff creates this overall environment that, that your, this gene machine we have that runs us that, you know, that just keeps everything functioning, hopefully. And it's doing a huge amount to try to pull us back in when we get off track we, we can nudge it so far because that's all so hostile. We're talking about a hostile right. overall environment to our system and it's functioning. Right. You know, it's like, how well is your mechanic shop going to be able to fix your car if the whole place is on fire? Right. It ain't going to happen. I've never been a mechanic, but I would say probably not very good. Probably not very probably good. Probably not right? very good. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't sound like a good deal. I'm right? intuitive. I can, I can, yeah. I can, I can, I can hash it. And this I think up. that, you know, my, my mind just sort of came up with that analogy, but I really trust that. And so I think, well, yeah, we're talking about inflammation for humans. And so when you're chronic, we're built to have all sorts of acute signals in us that just arise. Like when something like a grizzly's running out, we want to be frightened and we want to have a jolt of adrenaline we want to run like hell or fight with it right yeah those are great acute signals they happen in a really brief period of time and then they're gone everything that affects us in a bad way is chronic yeah because our systems are not designed for that correct and um, you're talking about the difference between getting chased by a bear once or twice in your lifetime or being chased by the bear every time you get in traffic every time you go to a restaurant yeah yeah, yeah. being chased a bear which is actually your core emotion and you get anxious about that core emotion because it was somehow a real problem as you saw it in childhood. And so now that's going to come up all the time. And so you're 24 seven being chased by a grizzly. That's, yeah. that's this emotion. And especially if you're in some kind of a agreement with a partner or whatever, where this is just coming up all the time and you don't know how to solve it because yeah. again, your, your focus is whatever you've learned to make it right. and you're not that's seeing this bigger picture. Right. Yeah. And it's, 
it's now this is just like totally intuitive on my part. I'm, but this has been my observation. You tell me how it marries with like the actual science. But it seems to me that we get in such a chronic state of, of experience in that, right? That it doesn't just naturally dissolve and dissipate. Yeah. It, it, it summates and, and creates conflation. But it even gets to the point to where we're, we're feeling it chronically, constantly. Then we get in a habit or a pattern of looking for something to explain the feeling. Right. And it's usually manifested in someone else, my boss, my wife, my husband, my coworkers. So what's happened there? If we look at the nervous system, a, a simplistic way to think about that is when you have something happen suddenly to you, it's like the brain almost builds its function from the bottom on up. Mm -hmm. So the brainstem okay. makes you take a big breath and, and everything and, and your heart rate go up and then and then your limbic system lights up and says, oh, there's danger or whatever. Yeah. And then sometime later, quite a bit later in terms of nervous system function, it gets to your cortex, which is the newest part of your brain that actually can make more rational verbal uh, decisions and have ideas about what's going on. So you've already been hijacked by all that really old kind of machinery there. Sure. And, um, and that makes it really difficult to, to keep your cortex online. So you end up making decisions that are like, well, basically, like if you're running just your limbic system, that's early mammalian stuff. So basically, you're you're arguing with your wife who you really love and you're in the argument for the 50th time and you both really are doing your damnedest to solve it. But man, it's going south on you. Yeah. And you're thinking divorce or yeah. whatever. Well, that's because basically you don't realize it, but you're a couple of possums trying to argue with each other. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work vibing well. off of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like there's this progression. Sounds like it's it's. Um, you know, at the Czech Institute, we say, get them out of their reptilian brain, right? Yes. And so there's this progression. And if we look at like the physical, physiological body, if any of you are familiar with Eastern philosophy and, um, you know, I might trigger some people with this word, but the chakra, right? If you're familiar with that, the chakra, you know, our lower self, like in our area of safety, security, stability, then it moves on up to creativity, then sense of self then love, speaking our truth into and source. Well, look what happens in the triune brain. We've got reptilian, right? We've got limbic and we've got neo. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when we're here, we can be in our highest self. We can be in our higher self, mm -hmm. just like in our chakra system. When we can connect to our seventh chakra, then we can be open. We can be fluid and we can be in our highest self. So it's amazing how these things always just kind of well, seem to correlate. And well, you know, the good way to yeah, the beauty of having um, knowing enough to know some of that other language, like talking about chakras. Um, although most people get put off, it's really because we don't know enough about mm -hmm. that. But my general approach to that that I find useful is thinking about um, how there's been brilliant humans forever. And they are products in part of their time, right? Yeah. So they have the language of their time and the objects of their time and the environment of their time. And they will have this language of their time. But what you find that's cool is if something is a fundamental truth, you're going to find languages all through the ages that map perfectly onto one another. Almost like religions, myth, esoteric. All of those. Versus exoteric. That's where my the research I did on forms of representation was so beautiful. Was I was looking at a lot of that historical stuff, too, because I, I don't know why I've been blessed with this mind that I really love that, that just automatically goes to all kinds of analogies sure yeah so i'm it's always mapping what i know on whatever i don't know and going oh look that matches yeah and yeah. that's a very very powerful way to think and i really think it's the way human minds are designed i agree i agree i think i think we i think we are attracted to um not that i'm an expert but i think we are attracted to being able to connect dots say where does this go where does yeah. this lead but also to do this mapping jerry of whole structure on another one that we just ran into right 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 and what we call that in therapy but it really is useful in like like uh, study of motor learning. They talk about transference there where you can learn a, ta a really weird motor task with your right hand, you know, that's hard to do and you practice it up. First time you do it with your left hand, you're better than anyone who starts with their left hand mm. because it transferred across your motor system. So in therapy, we talk about trans and countertransference. When we talk with somebody, there's ways in which... We're, we're mapping like our father or our mother or a friend or someone we had a lot of more experience with onto this person as a way to project this understanding of them right off the bat. And when it works, it's really helpful, but it's always going to be wrong to some extent. Yeah. And sometimes it's really wrong. And most of the fights that go on between people are that. 
Sure, sure. They're they're not seeing the other person. They're seeing an old map. Yes. And they're projecting onto it, and then they're they're mad at that. Mad at that. Yeah. And then you <laughs> yeah. got two people. They're both trying to get their own needs met, yeah. right? And they don't yeah. realize that the reason why I'm pissed off at this guy is because he's not seeing how my needs need to yeah. be met. Or and inevitably, we picked a partner who reminds us of whoever the problem. Is. Oh, totally. So because totally. we're like figuring this out, but. But it's really fascinating when you really study how beautiful a mechanism it is that our brain does this transference piece all the time. Yes. Because it means you can learn exponentially faster than you could otherwise. Can you imagine if every person you met, you had to like construct them from the ground up to understand what you're looking at. Right. And then listen to their voice and try to learn the language they're speaking. Right. And really think about it. And how that all ties into what we talked about earlier with the, with the symbols, the mythology, Right. It's like, what archetype am I speaking to right now? I'm going to transfer this archetype onto you. You're, you're, you're the father archetype. Okay, Absolutely. cool. Right. So, yeah. so daddy, I need you to, I need you to comply with this, this therapy that I'm giving you so that I can, I've, I'm a good boy and done a good job. Right. That's an example of right. transfer. And, and so I'm safe with you. In the and moment. so I'm safe with you. Because yeah. my old experience tells me that being real close and intimate with somebody else ain't safe. Right. 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 And Vulnerable. Then, vulnerable yeah being vulnerable is really scary for people oh yeah totally because as a kid kids are naturally vulnerable and when they get whomped every time they're vulnerable they learn that vulnerability well, yeah. is a bad thing you think about that's not really the story 100 you think about the chaos and confusion trances that that get imparted on us when we're kids because we're just being kids we're just expressing ourselves we're just having fun we're being really true true and then we've got somebody who we look up to as superman or superwoman super parents and they're like and the one you're bad if you do that yeah. You're bad if you do that. Stop. That's where the autoimmunity starts, you guys, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. In my opinion. We start mm -hmm. self-censoring. We start repressing. Because um, what have they done? They've up. given you an mRNA injection. Yeah, that's exactly. Bingo. Bingo. Mic drop. Yeah. You've got, it's, it's, it's like, it's organic CRISPR, y'all. It's organic CRISPR. It we're gonna, we want you to express these genetics for shutting up and being a good person exactly. and not expressing your anger. Yeah, and dealing with this high right. level of anxiety you've got. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And, you know, down the road, you're going to manifest disease. has nothing to do with that. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because I need you to act this way so I can fit into the tribe or yeah. to society, society. Now, Denise asks, do you remember the names of the authors of those pictures? I don't, but I will find them because I'm sure we're going to do this again. Okay. All right. So we'll get that to you, Denise. Uh, I will put it in the comments of this and, um, and I will reach out to you privately on DM. If that's okay with you, I will, I will do a copy of those. Yeah. Names. I apologize for my Monday brain. But, uh, that's fine. It's all good. It's all good. So the body is amazing. Absolutely. I was out tearing around the mountains all day yesterday and I'm kind of bushed. A lot of good, uh, a lot of good feedback so far. Bozzy. What up, J-Dub? I don't know who J-Dub is. I know who J-Dub is. That's not me. You know that. It's all good, though. Love you, boss. Love you. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I love StreamYard, but it doesn't tell me who's making comments, but yeah, but it's all good. We appreciate you guys' support. That's awesome. Bruce, a lot of good shit we're talking about. So just to recap, guys, autoimmunity is when our body attacks itself, and the current medical strategy is to just throw more drugs at it, even so far as to suppress your immune system. Or which, cut it out. Or cut it out, but suppress your immune system, which ironically... Really, the emotional system is a different immune system. Did we talk about that yet, or was that? I don't know important? if we did, but it's that was kind of what you and I really were cranking on earlier. Yeah. That... So it's the repression of your actual emotional immune system that is causing this autoimmunity, and they treat it with immune suppressing drugs. That's the great irony, and it shows the ignorance. And I apologize if, if this offends you, but I can't think of any other for it. Is the ignorance and the negligence of actually sourcing this where it started? And so it's showing us that we humans are really fighting our ignorance all the time and yes. we should be really humble about it because we're all being ignorant in some way all the time yeah and what you don't want to do if you can avoid it and it's a tough one is build entire institutions around some kinds of ignorance because that's when it, it gets clout and it starts to hurt people yeah what what exactly do you mean by that bruce I mean, if you build an entire system around thinking that you can treat every human problem by um, injecting them with a one med or cutting, you know, something like their gallbladder out, then you're going to create at least as much difficulty as you're going to fix, probably a lot more, because you're not sitting back and asking the kinds of global questions about all the systems involved and whether there's a nat more natural way that, that you could treat this. I, I think it's too, like um, prostate cancer. You know, we're all up in arms about that in the last 10, 15 years, and, and, and they can 
detect it massively well with like PSA tests and so on. But the stats are that up until about 30 years ago, um, they estimate 75 to 80% of all males died with prostate cancer and never knew they had it. That's interesting. Because we're making cancerous cells all the, all time. the time. They're just failing. Yep. And normally our immune system is just grabbing them and throwing them in the trash. And so when you keep yourself healthy in this much more broad way, emotionally and nutritionally and with your sleep hygiene and with exercise and with socializing and with whatever really fills your spirit, so things start functioning more optimally, you're going to kill those, those that don't belong and you're going to be fine. And they'll show up all the time, but they're not going to grow into something that's going to kill you. Mm. And I think a part of the reason, it's like cholesterol too. When cholesterol became an issue that the medical world was worried about in 1932, when they figured out what cholesterol was, they could measure it. And now they're off and running. Yeah. Yep. And yet you need it for making all your steroid hormones. Yeah. You know, so you do a statin and now you can't make your sex hormones. And you wonder why your muscles hurt and why your libido is gone and why your zest in life is gone. Oh, yeah, but your cholesterol stone low. Yeah. Dumb. Really dumb. Yeah. And that's, uh, we talked about this the other day, but, you know, the cholesterol, just an example and how the, like, statistics don't lie, but liars use statistics. Right. Right. That's a beautiful way to put it. And I always like to say the more general one, you'd love this. Dear. I don't think I've ever told you this. And that is, I always say, if humans are defined as being tool users, which we typically do, that automatically means they're tool abusers as well. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Over and under expression, right? How do you find, how do you find adequate? You over or you under express until you get it right. Yeah. Just like adding salt to soup. So as we go to, as we go to what we mentioned earlier, and I kind of want to loop back to this. Yes. When we talk about what we're creating, the situations that we create, uh, the trances that we find ourselves in. So when we talk about creating our autoimmune condition, it's generally through the emotional immune system that's gone dysfunctional. Yes. Right. Yeah. And we talk about healthy expressions of anger, healthy expressions of sorrow, healthy, you know, grieving. And when that becomes overexpressed and we get stuck because our pattern always goes to the same thing that we've just always known how to do, right? This is how I interface with the world. This is this has worked for me and then it stops working. We don't know what to do. But we create the through our emotional immune system. So you said you were talking about that earlier and I, it just blew me away. So we're talking about how our emotional defenses work in response to our emotions and how we accept them or we resist them. What's that look like? And we're just going to use anxiety because anxiety is something that's very prevalent. But what is the connection between the emotional immune system and how we manifest anxiety, how we create anxiety? So in the, in the way I think about this, that I was, that I, in all my training, I ended up in this place where the model I like the best is, um, one in which uh, it's from a, 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 a kind of therapy that I do called intensive short-term dynamic psychotherapy. The model there is that we have a handful of core emotions that are hardwired into us. And the way we came to that in part was a bunch of research by a guy at Stanford who spent his life studying emotion and feeling. And one of the things he did was he took photos of people expressing any every kind of emotion they could think of. And he made card decks of these photos and he went all over the world, people in every walk of life, including headhunters in New Guinea. And he showed them these and, and what it was, what emotions going on here and lots of noise around it. But there were five or six emotions. Everyone in the world could identify just like that when you mm -hmm. show them the face. Yes. So yes. we assume that means those are the ones that are really wired into our brain and our nervous system, which is kind of a cool hypothesis. Mm -hmm. right? So, um, that has to be that those rose to the top because they were the most useful ones, right? Mm -hmm. And so each one of them serving some critical function. So if you lose any of them, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And and we look at anxiety, we define anxiety as being a fear, but as opposed to what we call a fear, which is a fear of something actual in the world, mm -hmm. like a grizzly charging you or a truck headed right at you, where you get all of that firing up of your limbic system and everything else. You get the exact same kind of nervous reaction in anxiety, but the anxiety is to a feeling that's rising inside of you that you have learned in the first couple of years of life is unacceptable to your caretaker. Yeah. Self-censorship. Yeah. So yeah. you, so this, the way the, the anxiety is part of the system censors you and shuts you down so that you'll survive. So this rage towards your dad for being a jerk or your mom starts coming up with a partner and, and, 
this this is so practiced so many times, millions of times. It's now what we call unconscious, which we really just mean you, you're not using words all the time to describe it. It's just happening mm-hmm. and it's reactive. It's quick because it needs to be quick. So you've automated. You're just like the way you walk. You don't have to think of every muscle you use and in what order. I guarantee if you had to, you couldn't even walk. Mm-hmm. Watch a baby. Yep. Watch how long it takes them to figure out how to control those yep. muscles, right? How many reps. Yeah. And um, anxiety is this rage comes up for real good reason. And, and then that terrifies you. And you get anxious, not fearful, because this is inside of you. But it's exactly the same state. It's totally adrenalinized. You put out huge amounts of adrenaline, just like that. And all sorts of stuff happens when you, that goes on. Adrenaline tends to cause a very patterned shutdown of your the newest part of your brain. Your brain always shuts down in fear from the outside in. So as fear gets greater and greater in you, or anxiety, which is a kind of fear, um, you lose function, like executive functioning, the separate part of your brain, you lose language, either receptive or, mm-hmm. or uh, productive. So you might not be able to speak, you'll stutter and stuff, mm-hmm. or you'll listen to somebody and they sound like Charlie Brown's teacher. Yeah. We've all had that experience. Yeah. If it goes above that, you'll start like not hearing properly, you get tinnitus, yeah. you'll, your vision may tunnel or you may get blotches in it. Yeah. All sorts of things can happen as the blood stops flowing to those areas. And then if it goes beyond that and it gets up to like, say, eight or nine out of 10, that adrenaline will actually lead you to a point where it's so shut down that um, that now you're basically at a brainstem level because when that happens with fear as the lion is charging you, your body wants to drop and be look and look like you're dead because then hopefully that last ditch effort will mean the predator doesn't kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... Literally in these social situations with our partner, with our mom, with our dad, with friends, whatever, we will have so much anxiety and we've done it for so long since we were really little. We're not aware of it, but it'll make us, it'll dumb our brain down to the point where we're barely functional. Yeah. And so we can't like have a nice conversation, an argument where we come to grips with things together. Um, We can't do any of that stuff. And what the anxiety always does as a next step is call out psychological defenses. That's its job. Mm-hmm. It's the sign in your system that says, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. I need to shut everything down. And so you run these defenses. So depending on the level of your fear, your anxiety, you will pull out more and more stringent defenses. Totally. And that's partly a function of just your brain shutting down. Totally. Because when your brain goes like this and shuts down, you actually regress in age and go back to like, say, a two-year-old who doesn't have a really big social behavior repertoire right right but that's they were safe and protected at that point they could only do certain things and so you end up doing those things yeah and and how often have you thought or had your partners you're acting like a Mm two-year-old i want you to stop and listen to yourself that's exactly what's going on and you should on a literal level treat that as a truth yeah and then treat them like a two-year-old who's really struggling yeah instead of the partner you're pissed off at because that's not your partner, actually. That's them as a child way back then. Yep. Your brain's been hijacked, and it thinks it's there and then and not here and now. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And attunement is so important to those things, right? Oh boy, is it ever. You, can you, how do you snap out of it if you don't know what's going what on? What do we mean by being mindful? What we mean is our cortex is still turned on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On, on, on physiological, scientific level. Yeah. Yes, that's what it means. Yeah. yeah. For those of you guys that are opposed to like meditation or Eastern philosophies or anything like that. That's really what it means on a real level. And just as a side note, guys, if you battle anxiety, if anxiety is a thing for you, I want you to check your psoas. I want you to make sure that it is, it isn't chronically facilitated, chronically turned on. If why would it be the psoas? Why is that the place? It's, what does the psoas do and why is it tied in? There? So metaphysically, the psoas is... Oh, tell them where it is. Because yeah. I don't know. How oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we got psoas basically starts in here. Inside your, inside, your pelvic the bone there. inside your pelvic bone, it ties in with the iliacus, which is really aligned along along your pelvis, but it originates in the lumbar spine. It all it connects all along your lower spine. Yeah, it connects everywhere, everywhere in your lumbar spine. That is very close. It leads into what we call the femoral nerve roots, which go out the bottom of your your sacral spine, and they innervate or supply nerves to your lower limb. Now, when we think about where our, our energy, our sense of creativity, our sense of being safe and secure is located, it's all in that region of the body. So since the, the psoas covers 
our second, our second zone, which is our sacral zone, which is our zone of creativity, our zone of manifesting, our zone of actually leading into the manifesting zone. But it's, it's our, our, our ability to create or reproduce. That's where sexual energy comes from. But below that is our sense of safety, security. That's what we call our base, our root chakra. Well, you can't walk if your psoas isn't if your psoas isn't working. Psoas goes through both of those zones, and so whenever you're experiencing distress, you're repressing a lot of things, uh, you create chaos, confusion, trances. Then the psoas turns on and can become chronically facilitated, and we call that the oh shit muscle at the Czech Institute. So, if you think about when you're afraid as an animal, you know, like a grizzly's running, at you, what do you need to do if you have time? You need to run like hell. What muscles are you going to use to run? Those hip flexors. Yep, yeah, those hip flexors. So that's your alarm. Yeah. And in response to alarm in life, your psoas will turn on. Just automatically. Yeah. Yep. And so, and what's interesting is because it attaches to your lumbar spine. Most of the time people go, oh my God, I have such a bad lower back. Yeah. And it's not their lower back at all. It's their psoas muscle. Psoas might be the, now you might have manifested a disc bulge or something like that, but it's probably because of chronic facilitation of your psoas. Almost, I would, yeah. most of the time, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially yeah. postural, too much yeah. sitting yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. So um, just a little nerdy side bit for you there. But what's cool about his nerdy side is he's letting you know something critical here, which is that there is no separation between how your body functions and how your mind and your emotions they are integrally connected and you express each of them through the other. There's always going to, if one of them is deeply affected, you're going to see it in the other ones. Yes, absolutely. So you can use those clues to figure out what the heck's going on for you. Absolutely. So I learned long, long time ago that when my lower back started to hurt and I thought, geez, when, what makes lower backs hurt? Well, a big burden, you're carrying a huge pack. Yeah. Oops, I don't have a pack on. Oops, yes, I do. It's my emotional stuff that I'm yep. not taking care of. Yep, yep. Yeah. Low back pain being stuck in situations that you can't get out of too much fight or flight, chronic fight or flight. You've got, you know, more nerdiness here, but you've got the psoas, like we said, is, is attached at the lumbar spine. And when it becomes shortened, facilitated, engaged, uh, it doesn't matter if it's short and weak or short and strong, it's going to pull tension on that lumbar spine, which is going to put your spine into uh, a, a position that isn't in alignment. So now we've got a structural anomaly and we've got an emotional anomaly. And if we go to see lumbar spine specialist, what do you think he's going to say about your psoas with a disc bulge? Do you think he's going to, he's going to say, oh, I think you're. I bet it's emotional. Yeah. I bet you're in a state of high emotional distress. So your psoas is chronically. I've ever shown you my scalpel. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no, you're going to get a conversation, something like, well, we can probably get away with just fusing L5 and L4, but eventually we're going to have to fuse, you know, L1, 2, and 3. L, and we're not going to tell you about having to fuse your cervical spine. We'll, we'll let you, we'll let you uh, worry about that when we get to our, and you're not going to hear about the fact that anytime you do a fusion, that just means the joint that's hypermobile is just above that or just yep. below that. Yep. And now you're going to have to fuse those because they're going to get yep. in trouble. Yep. And so it's like this cast of problems. And emotionally, how does that, re if you've got hyper hypomobility in your emotions, you're creating hypermobility somewhere, somewhere else, else. right? It's beautiful. And that right? happens in your, that happens yeah. in your shoulders, that happens in your neck. That happens in your breathing. Guys, this shit's all tied in. It's all tied in. And the beauty of that is though all this talk might have maybe thrown you in a state of a little bit of confusion. Hopefully it provided clarity. That was the mission. And by the way, we, you can't even approach how confused the two of us can get. Right, right. So don't worry about <laughs> That's that. why we need pen and paper when we talk. But, but, um, but actually the inverse is true, right? This is meant to show you that you have all you need to source your disruption, to source your blockage. Now, sometimes you might need some help. You might need some guidance. Awesome. But you have it within you. What you don't need most likely, and this isn't medical advice, but most likely what you don't need is more toxins in your body in the form of an orange bottle filled with pills or a scalp and a surgery, which is only setting the foundation for more surgeries. What a great business model. If I was a roofer and I knew that every roof that I put on the house, guaranteed they no one could question. One. Yeah. No one could question the roof I use. No one could question the techniques that I use to put the roof on. If anyone else said, oh, a different roof is actually better for you. They got thrown in, in, um, in jail. Right. But I knew that every time I put a roof on your house, it would cause cracks in your foundation. And I also have a business that fixes foundations. What a beautiful business model. No kidding. Woo. Woo. Unless you want to sleep at night. If you want to sleep at night, that's a terrible thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then the only way you can is to have some sort of 
emotional problem where you got some part of you that should be functional that's not. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so like just to kind of recap what, you know, what we were talking about there, we were talking about that hypermobility and hypomobility, guys. What we're saying really that boils down to over and under expression, right? Like in the spine, in the spine, I see this a lot, like hypomobility, like in the middle T-spine, like, you know, T7 through 10, somewhere in there. And uh, hypermobility, like in L5, S1, C7, T1. So you're seeing that a lot, but without fail, when we see hypermobility, we've got to look for the hypomobility that's likely Somewhere. sourcing it because hyper or hypomobility creates instability. Now, if we tie that to the emotional body, if we are overexpressing anxiety, we're hypermobile in our anxiety, it's autonomic, it's automatic, unconscious, then without fail, we got to look, what emotions are you resisting? What are you hypomobile in your expression of anger? Uh -huh. Now, when we talked, we talked about expression earlier and, and we use the analogy of holding a beach ball underwater. And as we're repressing our emotions, because mom or dad said, you're a bad boy. If you're angry, you're a bad person act out in the grocery store. And we want to fit in. Our parents want to fit in. So there's this big loop that happens, but we're repressing those emotions because we want to be a good boy. We want to fit in or good girl. We want to fit in, but I don't care how strong, how fit, how conditioned, how smart, how prepared you are. Eventually you're going to get tired and that beach ball is going to come out of the water. And here's the, it's going to hit you right. It's going to hit you right in the face and it's going to come out at a time that was unwarranted. Uh, and then you won't be able to swim because your shoulders are so screwed your up. Your shoulders are so screwed. I, I gave this analogy. I was talking to a, a, a client and, and it was like, let's say we had like this, this, this competition where we're salmon lake here in Montana and, and we've got two bus studs and they're, 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 they're in this competition. Who can hold the beach ball under the water the longest, right? Well, 12 hours later, you've got both of them. They've got uh, biting fly bites all over their face. They've got mosquito bites all over the face, maybe some bee stings. I mean, they've really sunburned, peeling the whole nine yards. They've really toughed it out. They've weathered every storm they possibly could. They haven't fixed a single bee sting. They haven't fixed a single bite mark. It's still there. It's still raw. They're holding it down. And then here it is just before dark. a gnat comes out and, and lands on this guy's nose. And he goes like that. And the beach ball goes, Whoa. was it the gnat? No, it wasn't the fucking gnat. Okay. But this is what happens when we repress. And, and the whole time we think we're controlling the beach ball. But the beach ball is doing what a beach ball does. Yeah. And it's winning the whole And we'll time. treat the whole system like there's nothing really going on. There's nothing going on. It's not the beach ball. Yeah. It's not the beach ball. What you need is stronger shoulders. Right. All right, Bruce, man. I think we've uh, we've 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 covered everything we intended to cover today. And we're definitely going to do this again. But yeah, um, I dude, I appreciate you coming on. And well, oh, this is the ball. We're going to have to do you. this. And, and if you guys want to see more of this or more of of any topics just yeah you know, leave sure in the comments anything know. you want us to talk about yeah uh we're, we're glad to come on again because we realized this. we sort of skimmed we were like we we're like the guy who enjoys flying we're pond skimming like yeah two feet above the water and you know yeah but um it's it's nice for us to just toss out all these interconnected and and then be able to respond you know yes. to, to deeper parts of it yes absolutely absolutely all right guys i thank you for tuning in we'll do a quick uh run through of any questions here? Paul Ekman, is that what it was? Great comment here from Denise. Yes, allopathic medicine is slow to accept alternative medicine. That is a repression of the truth. They're creating their own disease in their own life. Food for thought, something in the comments about the Hoffman Medical Center. What's that one you got it on right now? Which one? This one? Yeah, right below that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Colors Anatomy 1 and 2. Yeah, yeah, Denise, I, I don't, yeah, I don't doubt that one bit. I don't one either. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I learned that completely on my own when I had a lower back. I went in to see a back surgeon and he told me that he needed to fuse the bottom four vertebra because I, and you probably use that verbiage too. Huh? Yeah. I've yep. been the, the, I've been a volleyball, really high level volleyball player. When I was in grad school at Duke, I was the setter for their team. So I was always, I had like a 35 vertical and I was like landing on one foot or landing on my butt. And I just pounded those things flat and they hurt. I was having real trouble, a lot of sciatic and everything. And he told me that. And I thought, I said, thanks. And then I left and I went, I got to find something else to do. And I, lifting weights and I started training my lower back and I've never had a problem since. Yep. Yep. Start reinforcing that lumbar spine and then the psoas can't take over and pull it forward. The lumbar actually resists it and you create yeah. this nice balance strength, strength component right around the pelvis. It's yep. awesome. Yeah. Allopathics. Allopathics drink the Kool-Aid. That's right. But you don't have to. All right. You don't have to. So none of us do. And we all do to a certain extent. So, you know, everything we're saying about like, you know, regular medicine, we're guilty of the, some of the same things on some level. And if we can just kind of keep that in mind, they're like a, a good cautionary tale that some areas of that or some practitioners, and we should just take that to heart and try not to be one of those guys. You yeah. Know? Just use them wisely, use them wisely. And, and I think, you know, the, 
the message to take away from any of this is like just whatever your motive is for why you're doing what you're doing, like whether you're dealing dealing with people, patients, clients, or you're just out trying to make money, however, whatever way you can, one of those is going to directly affect, affect the autoimmunity that you create in your own mental, emotional, spiritual body. And it's going to affect the way you sleep at night. Yeah. I got to tell this one thing about the psoas. This is so cool. At least it's my hypothesis. There's a really cool study in the book called Spark. There's unfortunately a bunch of books by that title now, but it's about um, high intensity interval training and really brief intervals and, and all the cool things it does for you. And it's, it's not the best source, but it has the basic experiments in it. And one of them was they had people, you know, go for a run on a trail and, or on a treadmill with a screen in front of them where they had a display like they were running on a trail. And then they measured the production of what's called brain derived neurotrophic factor. It's a, it's a peptide in your brain that makes you grow neurons in your hippocampus. It turns out in my mind that that's either the flow or it's your psoas being stimulated over and over and over again, which tells your system you're traveling and you need more neurons in your hippocampus to remember where you've been when you found the, or mm -hmm. the danger. BDNF. And that's another, so in the Czech Institute, we talk about, there's multiple reasons why, why you don't push people through pain, but even if it's not injurious, you don't want to push people through pain because you don't want to train them in pain and then have a BDNF release. One of my favorites was, in the gym years and years ago, I, I was watching this guy, this big, strong guy, and he was trying to bench way more than he should. And what he was training, I said to my friend and made him just snort and start like, look at him. He's training his facial muscles. Yeah, his facial and his glutes. Yeah, and his, glutes. <laughs> and his glutes. Yeah, everything was clenching. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Well, I appreciate, appreciate your time sir, yeah, yeah. and your wisdom dropping bombs on everybody. Guys, thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions or you tune in this late, Go ahead and post them in the comments. You can reach out to me directly on DM uh, and we will get to those comments and questions whenever we can, shorter, sooner than later. One other really brief thing though, yeah. Jerry, um, that occurs to me after some of our other discussions is that you, you and I are really thinking we're going to start teaching some classes on all this kind of stuff at some point. Yes. So that we soon. can get to more people, you know, actually get them in. Because like, you know, we, we do these one-on things with people which are really effective, but it's not very many people. True. And True. we'd like to reach a bigger audience. And one of the ways we want to do that is actually teaching classes where we're right there to answer questions and, and people can yep. really tear ahead the way they want to go. Yep. And since he said that, I will lift the veil. Off the, I, as you may know, I've, I've announced a little bit, but I'm working hard on developing an app that will have course capabilities. And a big part of that is going to be something along the lines of what we just discussed today. So, yeah. Good stuff. So yeah, we'll be on it. All right, guys, appreciate you for tuning in. And if, as always, if you need anything, you can reach out to me direct, 406-241-3763. You can reach me by email, jerry at biohackingtruth.com until I change the email address. And, um, or on DMs, leave something in the comments. Always here for you. Got access to Bruce. If a question for him, I'll make sure he gets it. But until next time, guys, thank you for tuning into the Sovereign Mind, Body, and Soul podcast live stream. Peace, much love, and live well.